Hey, everybody. How's it going? Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. This episode with Tommy Dobbs is great. We just totally dove into how he prepared the third movement of the Aways and Marimba Concerto. Apparently, it's originally a heart piece, so it's just insane. And uh, I wanted to get his perspective on how he incorporated deliberate practice. He used the Gold Method app to prepare for this, so you kind of get a sense of how someone in the real world uses the app. Uh, so I hope you enjoy that. Before we get into it, I just want to take a second to thank our sponsor for the podcast, Houghton Horns. For those of you that aren't familiar, Houghton Horns is a family-owned business in Keller, Texas, and their mission is to spread the joy of music through providing the highest level of products, services, and resources to the brass playing community. As musicians, it's simply a fact that we will be spending a significant portion of our lives with our instruments. Unfortunately, many of us can feel stuck with a bad fit, fighting to get the sound we want. If you and your instrument aren't getting along right now, Houghton Horns can help. They have an incredible selection of brass instrument makers in stock, including Adams, Bach and Con Selmer, Eastman and Shires, Engelbert Schmid, Paxman, Tyne, Yamaha, and more. They even have vintage and consignment instruments available as well. At Houghton Horns, they strive to put service to the customer as their top priority. Whether you are a beginner student, a hobbyist, or a full-time professional, Houghton Horns can help you find what you're looking for. Go to HoughtonHorns.com for more information. Hello, and welcome to That's Not Spit, It's Condensation. Hello, everybody, and welcome to That's Not Spit, It's Condensation. I'm Ryan Beach, and on today's episode, I'm really excited for this opportunity. I'm here with Tommy Dobbs, the percussion professor at Oklahoma City University, where I went to my undergrad. Some of you may recognize that name. Uh, Tommy has been incredibly supportive of my work with the Gold Method and the Gold Method app. Uh, so I just sort of casually talk to him every now and then about how he's doing and things that he thinks are important so I can kind of pick his brain and continue to learn from him. And he recently did a marimba concerto by a ways in just the third movement of it, if I'm not incorrect, with the Arkansas, the Fort Smith Symphony, right? And uh, so I wanted to talk to him about this and sort of have him share what he did to prepare. Um, and we get sort of a sense of, okay, here's the sort of start to finish picture. And then maybe, you know, poking around a little bit about things we might do differently, things that we you felt like you did well, things that you felt you might, you could have done, you know, next time you'll do a little bit differently or something like that, that kind of idea. And then we may get into some other types of things. But with this sort of deliberate practice angle I've been taking recently, at least in my mind I am, I don't know if it is any different in the actual content. I feel like this could be a very valuable thing to just have somebody say, here's what I did to prepare. So but before we start, Tommy, I really appreciate you giving me some of your time today. Uh, it'll be great to have you share what you've already shared with me before uh, with my audience. So I appreciate it. and I'm sure they do too. Yeah. Thank you for having me on. I like talking to you. So let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. So just take us, take us, just sort of, I guess, give us the this is how it came about, and this is how much time I had to prepare. So, and th this is what I did first, that kind of stuff. Just take us through that. Sure. So, I'll probably start with uh, I had a big life change, um, if that's okay if I share a little bit. Um, 
right when I got asked to do this concerto. So around May um, of last year, I was asked by the uh, maestro uh, Jeter to to do a concerto, and he picked this one for me, uh, which was a lot of fun. It's a lot, it was it was a lot of fun, but I think. It's important to know that during this process, I was also using your app for a recording session. Um, it was multiple recording sessions, and then actually for a job interview for this position. And then in August first, uh, I accepted this position here. And then about a month into starting here, I started really diving in with your app and this concerto. So I would say around September is when I started. I would normally start a little bit earlier than that, just kind of going through, checking if there's any techniques and start working on the fundamentals sort of thing. But around September or so, October is kind of when I really uh, started to dive into it. But it was in a whirlwind of like, life-changing and moving and like starting here and it's been so great so anyway yeah just wanted to preface it with that so uh, maybe if you could remind me now that i started rambling what your original <laughs> question was <laughs> i think just diving into the preparation what you started with how you you know what what did you start with and then how did you progress and we don't even have to get into how you may have adjusted things just yet just kind of where was your head when you were first starting out what were you trying to accomplish in the early parts of your preparation yeah, so for me, uh, with this being a marimba concerto, and actually my first time doing uh, a marimba concerto with an orchestra, I my main concern was uh, execution and not losing my place. So the what I really focused on that um, foremost, and so how I used the app right away is I split it into two sections. So I used the etude uh, section of your app, and I broke it into ways in part one and a ways in part two. It was like half the piece in part one, there were six sections I would practice, and then half the piece in part two, um, six sections that I would practice in there. And I really spent a lot of time, uh, not even half tempo, I would say like 25% tempo. Uh, and I would do one chunk, uh, and then you know how it increases um, by 4%. I would do one chunk two or three times, and then I would go to the next tempo two or three times, and, and then the next tempo. Because again, I'm focusing on just making sure that no matter what, I knew exactly what the chord was. I knew exactly where the shifts were. Um, and because this concerto is so difficult because uh, it's not a marimba concerto. It's like a harp concerto. I wanted to make sure I knew where I was going. So I started, I would say, the end of September, early October is when I like started that and a 25% tempo and I did the two-week cycle and then I repeated it again and then I repeated it again and slowly started faster. So I would say like 25% um, and then I would say the next one was like half mm -hmm. um, and then it would be like you know, 75, 80. Uh, and then once we got about two months out, I think I was in like the 85 to 90% or so. Um, and I started to do uh, longer chunks. So I would do like uh, an A chunk and a B chunk together. And then I would do um, like a B chunk going into a C chunk and then like A to C. And I call it compounding practice. I think you and I have talked about this mm -hmm. before. So it's kind of how I already do things, but I just used your app to go, okay, I already have defined an A, already defined B and C. I'll do A to B, cool. Now I'll do B going into C, great. Now I'll do A to C. C going into D, A to D, and I spent a month doing that and um, basically piecing the piece together. And then I would say a month out, uh, actually two weeks out, your episode uh, with your wife came out, the 1% episode, I think is what it's called. Yep. Um, and that like, I was just actually just talking to Lisa Kachui. She was in my office. Um, we were just having a chat like 10 minutes before this episode about that. And um, she was, your wife was talking about, um, what is the variations piece? I forget. The heinous era. Yeah, and how crazy it is for clarinet uh, and how that she 
a couple of weeks out was doing like worst case scenario runs. And I was like, oh yeah, that's like a thing that we can do. I forgot about that. And so the last month or last couple of weeks, I started to do worst case scenario. Like what if they go slow? What if it go too fast? Like, can I make it through that sort of thing? So that's kind of an overview of what I did. Yeah. And this is great too, because you're already demonstrating. One of the things I think about the app that's hard to share with people is that it can be adjusted, you know, mm. It can work, at least for me, that's how I practice my etudes because it's designed for an etude. Yeah. Uh, but for other types of music, you can use that structure as sort of a jumping off point. And I like kind of the way that you described how you changed it first, doing multiple repetitions of each set tempo. Um, and especially yeah, yeah. for you trying to memorize it and having so many more things to worry about than our three buttons on the trumpet. Yeah. I think it, it, it makes a lot of sense why you could, you know, you would do more repetitions that are there. And then I really like what you described about this compounding practice where you're sort of linking everything together. So it's like sort of like a halfway in between sort of the smaller sections and full performance. Do I have that yeah. right? That's exact. Yeah. And that's how I practice almost everything um, all the time. Sorry. But yeah. No, that's, that's great. Um, so you get to the performance itself and how are you feeling? And not just how are you feeling? I'm going to ask two questions in one and kind of let you talk for a little bit. The sure. first question is just how are you feeling? Do you feel confident? Do you still feel like you're a little bit unsure? And then number two is how do you think you would normally feel or kind of comparing it to other times when you've had solo performances? Was there any difference in this uh, solo versus other times? Yeah. So I can, I, I'm pretty sure I can say this, the, uh, as far as confidence level, there's only been three times where I really felt like when I walked out on stage that uh, I could, like, no matter what, like, even if the lights go out, we're like, we got, at least we can get to the end. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, and this is one of them. And that's not like a flex or anything. Like, I've been playing for a long time, and I can only say there's three times. Um, and one of them was using this app and this method, and I think just trusting the process. So when I came out, I was nervous because it's my first time playing a marimba concerto, and it's this one. And any percussionists that are listening would be like, okay, cool, that's stressful. Because it's like all white notes, um, and you can't miss any of them, you know? Uh, and so uh, I felt like no matter what, like it was going to be okay, and we were going to have a good time, and I was going to be able to at least convey what I, like, let me rephrase this. I was going to at least be able to attempt to convey uh, what I've been practicing and what I hear in my mind. And there's only been a couple other times where I felt that level of preparation. And again, you know, I guess if you tally it up, it's like six months of prep. So someone listening could probably be like, well, I hope he could do that by six months. But for, you know, at the same time, um, there's just a lot, you know, that's in the midst of all my teaching and, and everything mm -hmm. else that's going on. And so I think for me, I set out, like I mentioned at the beginning, to make sure that I was all I felt secure and when I walked out I knew that if I messed up if I broke a stick or anything like that I would be okay and I knew what was coming and and I do credit this process for that 100%. So that was cool because it's like I'm about to walk out. I've been playing with these guys for eight years. They, like um, I respect them highly. Uh, the maestro I've been working with for a long time. And I'm like, now I'm in the hot seat. You know, I'm not in the back of the orchestra anymore. And so I wanted to make sure at least I could, you know, feel confident. And I did. Uh, and I would say, did you ask about anything I would do differently? Is that what you... We can get to that now if you'd like to, oh. sure. No, I, I just don't like... I think if I heard your like if I got that remembrance of the the one percent podcast like if I could think about that you know two months ago I would have started that earlier but as far as level of prep um, what I would do differently I 
I don't, I mean, miss less notes, but as far as the prep, like, <laughs> I would say nothing, man. I, I, I think that, um, I think I now know I could do it quicker if I needed to. Uh, and I, like I mentioned to you a couple days ago, I think we were talking and I'm getting ready for another concert in two weeks. And uh, I, I already have started the Gold Method app on this. Uh, and I, you know, I think I've been using aspects of what you are using in the app here for a long time, but because it's so streamlined uh, and actually really focused, I trust I trust it. Like someone told me a long time ago, trust the process, and I do. Um, I 100% trust it right now. Um, and I know that in two weeks when I step out on stage with this person to play a duet, I'm, it's going to be fine. Like it'll be fine. We're going to have a good time. And that's not a flex. It's just I, I think I've, it's, I don't know, I'm just feeling good. Yeah. No, it's a similar thing for me that I've been working with it long enough now that I've seen the result of the work with, with you know, the Gold Method concepts and also the app that at this stage, I do just trust it. It's the same thing you're saying. And I yeah. think to some degree with any process, whether it's one that, you know, I have dis designed like what we're working with or it's one that someone designs for themselves, you really actually don't know the very first time or the very first few times, you kind of have to commit yourself to a level of uncertainty mm -hmm. and then be willing to refine from there, I think. And it's cool to me. I'd love for you to speak to this. It's cool that you've sort of, sounds like you've developed through the use of the app and then the way you've adjusted it to a mm -hmm. process that you, like you said, you do trust. And so what is that like for you when thinking I have to prepare? You kind of just spoke to it, but maybe a bigger picture, like... Do you feel like you could learn anything? Or are there still uh, things that you feel like you would struggle with? Does it make you want to perform more? Like, how does that uh -huh. do anything different when you feel that you have this process you trust? Yeah, I yes. The answer is yes to all of that. I think um, it does make me want to perform more. It makes me not nervous the fact that, you know, I am, like, I do consider myself uh, a musician first, but also teacher first. Um, and now I feel like, you know, this whole, if I had to rank it in threes, you know, like musician, teacher, performer, it feels now like um, that I can put them together. Like I can do all the things that I need to do. I just have to be selective. I'm not saying like because of the app, I can now play the hardest marimba solo in the whole, like it's not <laughs> like that. But I, if someone said, hey, Tommy, I want you to play like one of our pieces of con variations. If I want you to play that, I've never played it before. And I have a year or like, uh, like say like even three months or something to learn it. I, I feel like I could get to a point, you know, like, where my like I can get to a point where right now in my abilities I could do it confidently, um, knowing that if I spent more time later it would get better. But I feel like I could trust myself to do it if I needed to, um, just based on the app alone. Uh, and I think that that's cool. Uh, for me, it's and maybe this is I know for a lot of my friends we talk about this, but maybe for more than I know, there's. It's like sometimes you have to prove yourself a little bit to yourself mm -hmm. as a musician, you know, and I feel like there's a little bit of like this confidence boost knowing that, okay, it's like I'll read the manual and then I'll be able to put together the the thing, you know, uh, and I and that's kind of what's happening. And it feels nice to like have that, you know, um, because before it's like, yes, I do journaling and I have my phone app and I'll like do checkoff list and stuff, but this is already built in. Um, and I've adjusted it for me specifically how I know I, um, learn. And I think that that's nice, you know, and like we've talked about before, you're talking about different versions of the app, different ad, uh, additions and things you're going to add to it. And I think over time, it's like, just like me learning this app, it's just going to get better and better. Um, and so, yeah, I, 
I don't remember what your initial question is because I've been talking. So <laughs> I do feel as as a whole, though, it it should have been a scary experience. You know, like at my age, I'm not super old, but I'm 33 playing a marimba concerto for the first time with an orchestra. Some people have done that like a hundred times by my age. And, and so it's like, there's a lot, I feel a pressure that could have been put on me uh, mentally that was there, you know, like, hey, don't suck. Your students are watching. Hey, everyone you respect is here. Your, your fiance is here. Everyone's watching, you know, and all that was there, but it was quiet. Um, and uh, it was always in the background, just like it always is, but it was quiet. It wasn't like all encompassing. And for me, that is a win. Like, that's the thing we get with our students. You know, it's like, I, I tell students this, when you hear that little thing saying like, hey, you should eat a hamburger or you suck or whatever's, you know, that conversation <laughs> when you're playing, like let it in, acknowledge it and then move on. Because if for me, if I suppress it, it gets worse. And what's cool is, is I didn't think about it. Like when I started, I was like, don't miss the first chord. Um, that's all I thought about. And then if I did, it was fine. Uh, and then the rest was go. And I think it's because I could tell myself that if I needed to, I could pull out my phone and I could check my checkoff list from the app and it would say done. And mm -hmm. I'd be like, cool, done. And for me, that's cool. Um, I think I've told you this a couple of times. On a surface level, what I like about this process is that I can see like virtually a piece of paper and I can scratch through it, you know, and I could say it's done and I can go teach my lessons now. I've done, I've progressed, I can move on, you know. Yeah. So that's kind of where I'm at. Yeah, Uh one thing you said that I think I would love to see if you could sort of expand upon it in a specific way. You said that it should have been a stressful or a should have been a scary experience. There's people who have done this hundreds of times. One of the things that I think a process that we trust can do is I really think that it can help. I don't want to say catch us up, right? It's not that kind of idea, but it can help. That's what people who do it hundreds of times have, right? They just have the process because they've done it that many times. And so having the ability to have that process means that we sort of are in that same ballpark, even if we haven't mm. done it as many times. Can you can you speak to that a little bit more um, in terms of, like, does this... I guess the the question would be, Maybe you've already answered it, so this may not be any different. But the question would be maybe something like, you know, do you feel like you could, quote, compete at that level with this process where maybe without the process, even though you're a similar player, right? Like your skills are the similar. Yeah, without yeah. the process, do you feel like you wouldn't have been able to, quote, compete? That's the wrong word, but I think you get no, what no. I'm saying. Yeah, so I think, um, just speaking honest, uh, I have used a version of this practice method uh, for a long time, but I do know myself, and I know that, like, you know, once you leave school, I'm, I'm going to backtrack. Once you leave school, it's like you sometimes lose that high-stakes performance environment, unless, like yourself, you're in a professional orchestra all the time. But for me, I chose to get to go the route of teaching. And so it's like, once you leave that, sometimes you have this in the back of your mind uh, this thing of like, hey, you're no longer around the best. You're not practicing six hours a day. You're not doing this anymore. So when you perform, like be stressed out and know everyone's watching you, but you got to do, you got to do a good job because they're expecting you went here and you did this, you know, you should be doing that. And uh, I think what's cool is for me, I know that if I can quiet my mind, and here's what I mean by that, if I can get my to-do list done, I can actually focus on 
the reward. And so it's like the reward for me was the performance, like to getting a chance to step out on stage and showcase whatever it was and just play music with the, my friends that I've been playing with for like eight years. And so I think I was able to do that um, because of being able to check off everything mm -hmm. that I was doing, but also the validation, like, I wouldn't just click it. There's times, you know, when we practice, like, I got to get through this because I'm trying to get a hamburger or whatever. And so you're like going through and click, click, click. And, but I forced myself not to do that. Um, and I don't, and again, I don't remember what you asked me now, but I do think that um, I feel like mentally I can compete, as you're talking about, in that, in that realm because I can check it off and I know that it's getting done. And I, I know that sounds simple, but really it's not that simple to to say that because we can totally cheat ourselves and we can totally say this is okay, this is this is fine, move on. But if you really devote yourself to the process and trust that those four percent increments are going to be there, repeat it, adjust to your you know, your personal well being and your personal strengths, like I think I think it just helps, you know, I think it uh, it just at least it helped me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, another aspect we have to talk about because the gold method is great, but it's not the whole picture, right? The repetitions, I, at least I find in the app, uh, are make it a little bit easier to practice deliberately, right? So I'm not just going through the motions. Like you have the checkoff and sometimes it can feel like, oh, I'm just checking the boxes, like literally checking the boxes. <laughs> yeah. But for me, what it really helps me do is to make sure that with each check. I'm making sure, okay, the next one, what am I going to get out of it? Like, mm. is, you know, what am I struggling with? How am I going to make the very next repetition better than the previous one? And so this is a huge part about practicing that I love for you um, to expand upon as well is first, how do you get the image in your head or your mental representation or your whatever, your musical concept? How do you develop that? Is it through listening? Is it just you kind of know what it is through teachers or whatever? And then the other question is, how do you go about um, using the process itself to move closer to that? Are you recording yourself? Is it mm. just sort of like a feel type thing? You know, are, how are you How are you saying, this is what I sound like? I'm going to use the repetitions to move myself closer to what I want to sound like in the end. Oh, yeah, good. Okay. So I'm going to start with the first part and redirect me. Um, so as far as this piece is concerned, uh, I knew who it was written for and I had the, like, the recording, like the definitive recording of like, oh, this is she -E, this is her recording, this is what it sounds like. Um, so I kind of based a little bit off that, uh, but also um, just deep diving on YouTube. So I guess listening is the big one and developing my sound is like, uh, I'm always trying to get better. And like, as I practice, I am seeing, okay, I play on this edge of the bar with this mallet, it gets this sound. But I already have a concept of like what I wanted. Like a, I wanted the tone to be like pure and like crystal clear. Like no matter what you can hear across the board that this is it, um, uh, round um, and like right in your face. Uh, and so I selected mallets and I played the bars a certain way to always make sure that when I hit them, it's a round sound. It's not like, uh, sharp and like dirty, but just like a big sound that comes right at your face. Um, so that's kind of what I've wanted uh, as far as sound concept. And I, that's how I play in general, or at least I try to. Um, so mallet selection and all of that went towards that specific um, thing. And as far as um, what was the second part, it was like, how did I use it? I just, how did you use the process itself? Because 
if you just oh, yeah. go through the motions, well, just to even add a thing in here, if you just go through the motions without thinking, how am I improving? The process yeah. actually won't make you better. It's, yeah, yeah. it's taking the structure, any structure, and saying, okay, within the confines of the structure, how am I going to use that to ask myself the important questions about how am I going to drive progress? And obviously, like even your teaching is going to work its way into this part of sure. it too. How you would encourage other people is probably how you're talking to yourself. So just curious what that looks like for you so we can all get a yeah. sense of how you go about your decision-making process in the practice room. Yeah, so yeah, I see. So um, if we back up to how I first started learning the piece, I set a goal of like making sure no matter what, I knew where I was and um, like the shifts and the body movement up the instrument was always the same. So if we go with that idea, that was my main goal. So if we start back at like my first round with the method app uh, at like 25% tempo, my main goal during that time was accuracy uh, and body placement. So for us, the, the piece is really difficult because it's all these piano type chords that go up the instrument and nothing is the same ever. And so uh, normally we have patterns that we memorize and we play up and down. This is not like that. There's very few of those. So I made sure very at the very beginning, dynamics didn't matter. Everything was at forte, um, all big strokes. And I can explain why later. Um, and I made sure that I was shifting. I hit a note, shifted, froze, struck another note, shifted, froze, struck another note. And I did that over and over again so my body would memorize this very awkward situation. And when you play it on piano, it's not that bad. It's like just a B minor <laughs> and whatever, you know? But when you do it here, it really matters. Like one inch to the left or right is a wrong note. Like, and there's gravity between us and the instrument. So we don't touch our instrument. It's not a part of us. So I made sure that, okay, here, shift, here, shift. That was all of the first two sessions through the method app. So a good month, month and a half was just doing um, that sort of practice. And as I'm doing it, when I'm not practicing, it was like every other day or every two or three days, I was listening back to the piece um, and making mental decisions on what I was going to do in the fifth, sixth version through the app. Um, so that, that was like step one, big strokes, making sure all the body movement is there and then transition work. So that's the other thing I do a lot. So I'll transition from a phrase into the next one. So if like, you know, I would go from section A to section B and I would do like two or three bars of section B. Um, and then I would just loop that over and over again. So that's how I started that. As far as the musical decisions after that, so like the third and fourth round through the app, I started to incorporate the dynamics. So once I had the power and the physical ability to play the loud chords how I wanted, then I started to shape. And so everything I've been listening at this point um, started to come into play. I'm like, okay, I'm going to drop here. I'm going to phrase here. And during the repetitions, I would say, okay, if I did one all the way up and I missed a note, not the end of the world if I got the musical idea across. If I didn't get what I wanted across at all like, uh, and I nailed it, that didn't matter either. I had to redo it again. So I'd go back to those four, you get four times through, mm -hmm. uh, or, uh, and I would say, okay, number one, I'm going to try to play uh, musically. If I miss one or two notes, not the end of the world. If I did that, cool, punch. Uh, if I missed the musicality part, it didn't matter how many notes. Um, and if I missed all of it, obviously it's terrible. So um, uh, that sort of thing. Gosh, that's very interesting. There's a few things. You have not told me this before, so Sorry, this is yeah, really I, interesting for me. <laughs> um, the first thing that's interesting is you sort of like built it over time. Like you weren't trying to necessarily build the whole piece all at once. You were like, well, I want to establish this layer first and then this layer and then this layer. Is this how you would learn all things or is this just yes. because it's so difficult that you had to do it this way? I think the answer, 
overarchingly is yes. There's certain things where the answer is probably no, but so I, the way I teach, um, especially for undergraduates, uh, well, actually all across the board, um, is to play everything no dynamics. Uh, everything is one dynamic, and it's usually loud. You know, for us, especially on marimba, uh, for us, it's a matter of like actually physically getting around the instrument. Like, how does our body movement? Like, how does like if I'm going from let's say like a B flat chord, so we have B flat D F B. It looks like this, and if I immediately go to B major, I have to switch my hands out like this. So I would practice. I tell them to do big strokes because this is huge. One inch to the left or right, one elbow movement the wrong way is the wrong note. And so that's my foundation for everything. And what's cool is, is over time, um, you just don't have to worry about that as sure, much. Sure. You know, um, It's not like every time I do it, you know. Uh, but so we start there and I build that foundation first. And what is cool is, is it starts to check off in my mind. Okay, I can play it accurately at half tempo with you know, the big strokes and big sound, because for us projecting with the, as a concerto is hard. I'm, I had a full orchestra, it wasn't reduced strings. I had like five or six basses behind me um, and one me, you know? And so I had to make sure I could actually do it without losing my quality of sound that I wanted. Um, does, yeah, and then I would go on from there. Yeah, the other thing that's really interesting to me too is that it's like, and I don't even know if I'm thinking about it this way, although I've dabbled in this idea of the re each repetition has a focus. Hmm. And if I don't accomplish the focus of that repetition, then I didn't accomplish what I set out to do. Not necessarily yeah. did I build the whole thing, but this repetition, it's like, oh, I almost care about this one singular thing. And so for you, like you were describing, it's the musicality. It's You've done so much of the note-laying foundational work that at this stage, you need to make sure that you're doing the, the musical component of it. And so you're, it's like you're slowly, over the course of the process, transitioning into what matters about performance, which is musical commitment. But yeah. And I t this is kind of how I think, but I just don't always have the best way to describe it, which is when you're starting two or even two or three months in advance, like your musical commitment, it's like whatever, right? Like all that matters <laughs> is what happens yeah. at the end. And so the idea of laying a foundation makes a lot of sense to me and then gradually transitioning into putting the focus on the musicality. But I know everyone's got a little bit different opinion on that. Yeah, and that's how I teach too. So like, um, like say for a lesson, for example, let's say they were going to bring in this movement of the concerto. Um, I would say, cool, week one, I just want the first 20 bars and I want it at 40, like 30 to 40% tempo, all forte. Cool, next week, I want you to bring in the next 40 bars at 40% tempo, all forte. But the first set of 40 bars is now going to be 10 clicks faster, um, same volume. And there's a point, usually about the 75% range or so, where I say, now I want you to shape the first part and increase the other ones. And what's cool is it's the compounding aspect. It's like, we're here, we added this the next week, we added this the next week, but now that first one is three times faster, you know? Um, and then we're adding the fourth one. Now that first one is four times faster, the second one's three times faster, the third one is two times faster. And we just make a plan. We say in one month, we're going to try to have this at 100% uh, tempo or whatever our goal tempo is, um, and you be able to play it all at forte. Then if you're listening to it while you're doing all that, when I tell you to come in and just shape, chances are you are going to be in the ballpark of what you want to do minus some weird things that your body does because it hasn't you know, move like that, right? Because you have the you have the building blocks to do it. Now, obviously, there's certain things in our rep that like we can't do that because it's physically impossible. Like I don't know how to do a triple lateral. Okay, I have to spend time figuring out how to do that. Yeah, but, yeah, that's like a. 
that's skill development, which is separate sort of like that's a particular oh. skill that's what we would develop. And at least for trumpet, we would develop that in our fundamental routines where we can assign yeah. an exercise that's appropriate for the particular level of development that we're at. Okay. So you're talking about each repetition has sort of a specific purpose, right? So mm -hmm. do you find that there's really no questions in your practice session because it's either I accomplished it or I didn't accomplish it? Or do you find yourself at times being unsure if you're accomplishing what you've accomplished? Are you recording yourself to help mm. make sure that you're accomplishing what you're accomplishing? Or does that make sense? Like, how do you, yeah, yeah, yeah. how does this affect you, the amount of, how do you interpret information, I guess, would be the way to ask that. Yeah, so I guess the, the academic way to answer this and what everyone wants to hear is that I record every single practice session and I spend hours listening back and analyzing it. I don't. <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> like, you know, I don't do that. <laughs> um, uh, and not that to say, like, don't do that. I did do that. Like, the last three or four weeks, I did record and listen back. And you and I were talking about, you know, maybe trying to incorporate that mm -hmm. during the next process. But um, how I interpret it is I when I... For right now, when I play, I do. I think I can, given the amount of time I spent on the instrument, hear what it is that I'm trying to produce. And if I can't, I have done things where I put my phone on the other side or I have these mics hanging up here and I, I practice just right there. I'll throw it on and listen um, because there's certain times I'm like, when I got to that, you know, that next phase of music making, I'm like, I don't think I can do this. Or maybe for me, what was really important is there's this really crazy lick uh, where I'm playing probably the fastest I've ever played and it's a weird um, like set of stickings. And I was like, I don't think I can actually shape this. Like I'm trying to play loud, I'm trying to play high and, and I don't think I'm doing it. And I threw on the mics and I'm like, oh, I am working way too hard. Mm. Like it's coming across past where I wanted it to, to the point of sounding nasty and losing the tone that I wanted. But I was so focused on like, ram 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 that i wasn't thinking about like just relax and just play um and so that's when i do put on the mics uh it's where i'm like i think i might be overdoing this or i think like let me just listen back to make sure that i'm not overworking or that it's coming across and chances are i can actually just not stress and just play how i'd naturally play at that point and it would have been fine and yeah. i'm making it more difficult so that's how i would check it as far as uh questions too most of the time if i set a goal for like you know um this repetition i'm going to focus on xyz uh what happens is especially if i have a lot of time i'll like start going down a rabbit hole and be like well what if i like play on this edge or like what if i try this or like oh cool now i'll i'll skip a step and like maybe i'm in like the first stages of playing like 25%. I'm like, well, what if I just tried a tempo real quick? Let me try that. Um, that sort of thing. So yeah. like my ADHD has to kind of be in check sometimes. You know? Well, and again, it's just the idea that we make a logical structure that will that we think will get us from point A to point B, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it can't be adjusted based on what various needs are in any given moment. I don't think yep. we should just completely abandon a logical structure, but putting in like a faster repetition to make sure what we're doing is actually going to benefit us is not a bad idea. No. You know, what you're talking about with recording yourself at certain times, you know, maybe you do something two or three times to, to do some A-B testing on various interpretations. Um, my, I want to make sure I ask... This is like you're you're responding to me asking you the questions at this point in your development, but I would assume you would say someone who is not as developed as you, who maybe doesn't have the ideas that you have developed over your career, probably could stand to record themselves a little bit more, right? Just because they may not yeah. have that same association with I'm doing these things and I have a pretty good idea that I'm doing what I want to do. Yeah, 100%. And so, you know, I do think for 
percussion, like if you're doing snare drum, maybe even like drum set, like the phone is great. Marimba sometimes like, you know, it just, it's not, it's meant for, to record the voice. But I think if you're not actively listening to recordings all the time as a student, you know, because we're supposed to be listening six hours a day to albums. Um, If you're not actively listening to recordings or like checking things out on YouTube, like copying things that people are doing, like even the way they stand, the way they move, the way they breathe, like all that stuff, um, I think recording is critical uh, because you just have no idea. You don't have a concept yet, you know, and I think that's something uh, where you need to kind of trust your teachers a little bit, you know, like just say, I, I'm here, I'm going to do whatever they say to a certain extent, just to try it out, you know, just to, so you have a foundation and say, okay, this is the Dobbs method, whatever crazy thing that means, like, this is how I'm going to sound for right now until I have the the time to like check it out and just grow, you know? Um, that's yeah. how they do it with jazz. Like that's every, when I was a jazz studies major, they just said over and over, listen to the recordings. And I was like, I hate you so much. Um, <laughs> and, and so, but there's truth in that, you know, you, you got to know what Philly Joe sounds like and tr- and mess around and to figure it out and you'll never sound like them, but you can mess around until you figure it out. Um, yeah. yeah. Another really important thing that you just touched on too, was trying to mimic or copy the experts in our field. Um, I have been confused at times in my life where I I think to myself, well, I shouldn't listen to other people because that will, I'll start to just play like that person instead of sort of developing my own association or relationship with a piece of music. I'll just be copying that person. And someone like me who has a pretty good ear, actually that's kind of something I could do is I could just sort of fall into, I'm just going to play like this person and I almost don't have my own, like I said, my own relationship with it. So how do we balance that? How do we, like, is there a time where you would wean somebody off of your, um, off of mimicking experts and more going into recording themselves so they can say like, what you're doing is great. Just make sure you're doing it all the time. Do you have sort of a, obviously it's going to be individual, but is there a way that you can kind of tell that someone's ready to be weaned off and starting to dive into more of making and and reinforcing their own sort of style or whatever you want to say? Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. So here's my thought on that. Um, if, if, if I can walk into a room, uh, there's a, a percussionist in our field named Adam Blackstock. He's played like every marimba solo ever. So if I asked him to sound like Michael Burt, he could literally sound like him. If he could sound like Scott Herring or, you know, whoever. He could sound like all these people. And what I think is good about that uh, is that in moments— you could just say, okay, to a student, you could say, okay, now I need you to sound like this person. Can you, you remember how they sounded like when they did these really fast runs? Mimic Michael Burrett here, but when you come down, I want you to be more like, you know, Tom Burrett or like uh, Kevin Bobo or something. Like, I want you to shape more lyrically or more focused sound here. And all of a sudden, because they're trying to do that, they're unlocking aspects of their playing in their mind that they would never do. They'd be like, okay, I hear it like sharp and pointed. I wonder if I like flick faster, um, it will do that. And because they're asking those questions, they are actually creating their own sound. And they'll be able to do that because they have a vocabulary of so many different ideas. They're like, I think Michael Burrett sounds like this. And when he sounds like this, he does this. If I do that, it kind of sounds like it. Okay, cool. I've now created my own context. If you do that long enough, it's like a Bob Ross. It's like you all of a sudden your palette just has all these colors. And mm. when it's time to to play, for me, when I know a student's ready for that, um, they just start to surprise me. All of a sudden, I've heard these pieces a hundred times, and I'm like, I've never like, what are you doing there? And they're like, well, I just 
felt like doing it. And they felt like doing it because they've done it someone else's way for a long time. And now their bodies like do it like this because you naturally play like this. And I think that that's cool. That's when you know. That's that's a great answer. I really like that, that you're sort of listening and you're developing these things to give yourself just a big palette to work from. And this would line up with a lot of um, narratives I've heard from really great teachers over. And you're just trying to have a really big uh, palette to paint with when you're making all sorts of different types of music. And so that's a really cool way to describe how you would begin to have that relationship where it starts off with just emulation. I'm going to take a little side thing here because I think it's really cool. I've been learning about my my children go to a Waldorf school, which is a private school. It's based off of um, the this des- education designed by uh, a man named Rudolf Steiner. And he was seemingly way ahead of his time in many ways. And this education is, is it's all based on the way a child develops. And the very first mm. from ages basically zero to age seven, the way that they structure their education is around imitation. So they're Uh watching what their teachers do, they're watching what their peers do, and they're not really telling them to do, I mean, they have, you know, interactions with them and things like that, but it's so much based on just like seeing things and trying them out and kind of doing, and then you move into imagination. It's like once you've been imitating for a while, then you begin to ask the students questions and they start to work through it in their own mind. So it's like Uh. pure imitation and then moving into, they interact with the concepts in a different way. And then later on is um, inspiration, which is... uh, you're basically saying it's up to you now. Like you solve your own problems, that kind of thing. And I think it's really cool. You're almost describing a similar path here, right? Where it's like, we're going to imitate. We're just, even to the way someone stands, we just want to see like, how does someone create that sound? And then beginning to say, okay, well, what if you sounded like this person in these ways in this particular piece? And then moving on to finally someone grows into, I think this person's style would be best here. And it becomes the way they interpret it becomes their own individual style, the amalgamation of all these different colors they've painted with. Do I have, I I guess I wanted to sort of summarize it because it's beautiful. Do I have that right? That's it. And that idea of school to me sounds absolutely incredible because it's like no matter what, even when they get to that inspiration phase, they're in an environment where they can't actually fail. Like they're just, have to retry again. They're in a safe place. And that's what I try to tell kids here. It's like, fail right now. Like, try, like, get all this going and just get out there and, like, rip that cloak off and show me what you got. Like, go, you know? Like, show me everything you got because you can't fail here. Like, worst thing that happens is someone goes, (laughs) you know? Like, but when it's time (laughs) to take a job interview, you have 15 minutes to show them. And so let's get all the failing done now. That way, when you fail in the job interview, in the orchestral interview, whatever it is um it's like it will happen but you're used to it and you'll be like all right cool like whatever you know or the failing just gets better you fail better you know (laughs) yeah yeah. Uh, whatever so i love that i love that idea of schooling um i feel like i've heard that somewhere but i think we should all do that just on a side note um yeah, and I'm interested yeah, that's exactly. in, I'm very, for this, for the purposes of this exact conversation, I'm actually interested in wondering what parallels exist, you know, and kind of the way the example you described is a really nice sort of encapsulation of that, I think. Um, the very last question I have, and maybe this will lead to a, a different discussion, but I'm just curious how your desire to continue to learn about new methods and to try things out and to push yourself to, you know, 
try to be the very, very best you can be. How does that manifest in your teaching? Like, are you constantly able to take some of these things that you're learning and infuse them successfully? Um, or do you just have like a, even increasingly clearer idea of what really high level performing is so you know that students can push a little further than they think that they can? Like, how does this manifest in your teaching? Because I don't think I've asked you this question before, but I think I'm, yeah. I think it's going to be a cool answer. No, I, I always think people can push past what they can do. And not to get like super like like emotional or anything, but like I remember in school, people told me that those who can't play teach. And I do not consider myself some expert player because I couldn't read music when I started college. Like I didn't know how to read notes. I never heard of that before. My band director taught me by rote. He was my biggest inspiration in the world, but that's just how I learned. He was like, do this, copy those players, do that. And I think some of that is coming out in my teaching now. It's like you see kids, they'll miss a note, and part of the way I practice might instill this negativity, but they'll miss a note, and they're like, oh, I suck, you know, like, and I'm like, who cares? Did you hear everything that you just did, you know, like, or the fact that you just didn't miss a thousand notes is cool, you know? <laughs> um, and so I, I think, uh, man, uh, I, I always think that people can push further than what they can do, and I think... I joke about this. I don't know how much is true, but I always say that when I stop trying to do that, when I stop trying to put myself into these situations, is probably the time when I need to take a step back from teaching and everything else. Because I think if I say I'm done, then why would I inspire? Like, what's my reasoning for doing it? Yes, I'll have the knowledge and I'll have the whatever of doing it. But I think when it's my turn to step down, then it, then someone else should take my spot and start inspiring the students because I'm not saying I have to play every concerto because I'm 33 and I just did for the first time. But I'm saying I have the experience now and I know what that the reward was worth it, that you know, aspects were really worth it. Some might not have been, but most of it was. And I know that if a student says, I think I want to do this concerto competition, I can push them to that and encourage them to go that route because I've had the experience. And I know, you know, there's no way for me to have every experience in percussion, but I I, I think we can always push further than where we can go. And I think um, because of this, for me personally, because of the way I think I've always learned and honestly, by just trying to play catch up my entire life, I can go in this later, but trying to play catch up musically um, to be as good or try to compete with everybody. Um, I think I have an underdog mentality. Mm -hmm. And I always, I always try to see like when a student's talking or when they're walking or when they're playing or whatever, I try to see if that is there. Like, do they, do they think they can do it or do they think they can't? And I, when they say they can't, that's unacceptable. Um, it, it might not be their time right now, but we're going to get them to where they want to go. And it's just a matter of like giving them the pieces to the puzzle and we can push them forward. Um, but you just got to find the right pieces. And I think once I stop asking myself how to get better, how I learn and being honest, that's the thing with me, being honest with myself on what works and what is just uh, me trying to like impress or like whatever, mm -hmm. what actually works for me, that's where it is. Um, and I fight that all the time. It's like, well, I can't actually admit that I didn't read music when I started college, or I can't actually admit that like, I haven't played these 25 marimba solos that people might, who gives a crap? You know, like mm -hmm. uh, once I admit and I'm getting better over time, um, uh, once I admit all that, I think uh, I just there's no doors that can't be open. So that's where I'm at with that. Yeah, I, I appreciate that perspective. One of the things you said that 
I've been thinking about a lot too, as you said, sort of like just getting people the pieces of the puzzle. It's almost as mm-hmm. if like high level performing is, I believe, available to everybody. It's just helping people understand how they you know what, how do you prepare for it? Um, what right. it looks like to like make some of this decision-making process. Like to me, it's, it's becoming more and more of a mathematical equation of like yeah. how to prepare and how to practice for a high level performance way more than I would have admitted or even known about when I was younger. And it just is so crazy to me. And it seems like it, it, I'm, ho- I'm trying hard to like try to make it as accessible as possible to at least understand. Oh, yeah, so then, like you said, the thing that's left is do you want to push that hard? Do you want to put in those kinds of hours and the kind of work that goes involved, which is very hard and it's very intensive and it drains your focus and it wears you out? Yeah, can you want to speak to that? would be cool to, to hear from you yeah. too. Can you speak to just the process of preparing something for that long and were there days that mm. you didn't feel like doing it and were you worn no. out at any point and how did you maintain motivation? motivation that I, yeah. I, I kind of want that perspective too yeah so I there's moments where I, I found myself being like I mean of course like just burn out like hey uh, I really don't want to do this today like uh, or like for two or three days because maybe I hit that wall where like you know I'm not getting five clicks faster now I'm getting like one or I'm going one and it's like at 90 percent instead of a you know that sort of thing um, and so I actually found myself seeking out musical opportunities to inspire me. Um, and I haven't done that in a long time because I, I'll be honest with you, like I don't even listen, this is probably not going to go well, but I don't actively listen to music outside of school. I listen to talk radio uh, or I listen to books on tape. Um, every now and then it's Dave Matthews band, uh, but most of the time it's not anything. Uh, and I felt like as I was preparing this that I was losing a little bit of myself. And honestly, I hadn't performed something at this high level in a long time, like, or this high stakes, let me say that. Because like pandemic, like that stopped a lot of stuff. So I felt myself actively trying to be inspired and trying to seek that out. Like I, I risked practice time. I say it like that. Um, I, I stopped practice time to go see Tom Hooten's concert because I knew that some, I don't know who that is, but I read his bio and I was like, Jesus Christ, like <laughs> what is, you know? And so I went and I saw the first couple of pieces and I was like, yeah, like this, this what, like this sounds great. Like he had, he, he, what's cool to me is I, hopefully he doesn't listen to this and get mad at me, but he chipped a couple notes like right away, like on his first couple of things. And I was like, great, thank you. That made me feel better. Uh, and so, like, I felt more encouraged that someone of that caliber, you know, was it L.A. Phil? Is that mm-hmm. where he plays? Yeah. Like, someone of that caliber is up there, um, and they don't give a crap. They just kept going, and, like, immediately what followed was glorious. So I was like, cool, that's exactly how I try to teach and try to do. It's like, if I do a rep and it's, I miss two or three, but I accomplish the goal, that's exactly what he just did. And so that gave me the confidence to, like, okay, I'm the next day I went back in, and I was like, cool, someone like that did this. Excellent. Or like I went to clarinet day um, and saw Michael Lauren- Lowenstern, if I'm saying it right, and Deb Bish from FSU like come in and just like lay waste to a concert. <laughs> and, I, and I was like, yes. Uh, and so that inspired me because, you know, uh, Michael was up there just like going to town, playing with like backing tracks and jamming and improvising. I was like, I grew up improvising. Like I grew up not reading music and playing with my friends. That's how I grew up playing. That's how I started college. That's what I thought music was. And somewhere along the way, I was like, nope, don't miss notes. Got to play. Everyone's better than you. You suck. You know, that sort of thing. And so I think um, along, I don't remember where we were going, but along the way, um, when I felt like 
something was going on, like I wasn't getting better or whatever. It's like my body knew that I needed to be inspired. Um, and so it actively sought out moments to do that. And I didn't realize it until you asked me that question. And I started thinking about, hey, I decided not to go eat dinner and not practice to go see that concert. Um, and it was probably one of the best decisions ever. And I knew that I should have done it and my body just did it. And so that was cool. That's awesome, man. Is there anything else that you can think of that would be relevant for the topic of this discussion uh, that you want to share? <laughs> uh, man, I'll be like, I hope that people listening, uh, if they made it this far, uh, I do think that they should check out the app. And this is not just because I'm looking at you and we're talking on this thing. Uh, if you are struggling, if you feel like you need just even an accountability partner, it's a built-in digital accountability partner that does work. Like it works. My students, I have three or four students that have used it. Um, I have colleagues, professional players out in the field that are using it. Um, and I think that it actually, if you're looking for streamline, just even on a surface level, give it a shot. Uh, and there's a little prep work up front. Who gives a crap? Um, and then it's good to go. So that's about it, man. Um, I appreciate you let me ramble and like, you know, this sort of thing. So thanks for having me on. Man. Yeah, it's my pleasure. I mean, I think these kinds of conversations, you know, I, I think to myself, or just imagine you, I guess this would be an easier way because it's about your marimba concerto. Just imagine you are like 18 years old, 19 years old, and you have to prepare a marimba concerto. And then there's a there's like an episode that's like, here's how I prepared for this marimba okay. concerto. And you could just listen and get a sense of like, okay, this is what this person valued and things like that. The more kinds of resources that are available from people who are like, I did this process and it was successful. Here's what I did. I think the better, you know, so it's a little bit less of this sort of mystical. Some people mm -hmm. understand what they're doing and other people don't, but rather I actually could tell you exactly what I did because there's a process that I follow. I think the more kinds yeah. of conversations like that, the better. So I appreciate you that you are willing to do this. Uh, if people are interested in uh, checking out you, checking out OCU, anything related to that, how would they get in touch with you to find you? Yeah, uh, you can always email me. My uh, email is tdobs at okcu.edu. But if you go on Instagram or Facebook and just look up OCU Percussion, you'll find us. And um, my students and I run those social media pages. So you can just reach out there or, you know, my website. Uh, you can just type in Tommy Dobbs on Google and something will pop up. I don't know. Um, and just find me that way. Sounds good. If you need to get in touch with me, you can do that on thatsnotspit.com or that's not spit on Facebook and Instagram. If you enjoyed this episode or had any feelings at all, I'd appreciate it if you left a rating and a review on iTunes. And don't forget to share this episode on social media so other people can find it. Mm. Uh, Tommy, thank you again so much for giving me your time. This is a pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, that's the <laughs> that's the podcast. <laughs> um, I want to thank Brandon Yoakum for his work on mastering this episode of the podcast. You can check mm. out Brandon's work on epiphanyrecordingstudio.com. And most of all, I would like to thank you for listening. Stay strong, be kind to yourself, never stop growing, and we'll see you next time.